You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 41, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with Laurie Woke, a parent, educator, author, activist, and certified life coach who helps parents with their struggles in today's overconnected digital world. With a particular focus on building self-confidence in children and teens. One of Lori's deep insights is that we need to reintroduce the real-life skills that kids today are no longer organically learning due to social media, such as communication, empathy, gratitude, and leadership. Lori's efforts have led to a number one selling book on Amazon and to the development of a curriculum that gives parents the tools they need to build confident kids in the digital age. We're extremely pleased to welcome Lori Wolk to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the upcoming interview with Laurie Woke, you'll hear her talk about how she teaches parents to teach their children to engage with their friends in person about conflicts rather than online because of the way that online communication, particularly when it's solely in text form, can be conducive to fights and bad feelings escalating out of control. And I think this is a great suggestion for us as adults as well. We have a lot to learn from this. If you've ever experienced uh, text messaging with someone and finding that you're misunderstanding each other and that before you know it, it's a full-blown fight or misunderstanding between the two of you that leads to hard feelings that are hard to get over, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. So my suggestion today is to see if you can, in your communications with friends or family members or coworkers, customers, bosses, anyone who you're communicating with, particularly when it's just using text, uh, see if you can notice when a conversation starts to involve conflict, particularly when you're feeling some negative emotion towards the other people, anger or frustration or fear, or if you sense that kind of feeling from the other person. See if you can notice it as soon in the communication as possible. And this is not to avoid the conflict. It's to notice when the conflict is arising so that you can see if there is a possibility of suggesting to the other person that you see that the two of you are in conflict and that you want to address it, you want to resolve it with the other person, and that you'd prefer to do it in person. And if that's not feasible, perhaps you could suggest doing it at least on the phone rather than just through text. And the reasons for suggesting in person or by phone are because those kinds of communications where you can hear the other person's voice or see their face enables you to have more of a personal connection pick up on body language, tone of voice, and other cues that can help both of you really see each other and understand each other and de-escalate the conflict in a way that uh, I and many other people find text 
communications, whether that be by email or text message, are just often not conducive to. Hope you find that helpful, and I hope you enjoy the upcoming interview with Lori Woke. Hi, Lori, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hello, hello, Robert. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, You really focus on uh, social media and its impact in relationship to young people, uh, particularly girls. I know that you've written a book called Girls Just Want to Have Likes. Uh, this is a topic of concern to to many parents and, and young people themselves. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the motivation behind this. It takes a lot of time and effort to write a book like this. It must be something that's very important to you uh, personally as well as professionally. You know, what, what was it that drove you um, to write about social media and young people? So my background... Um I was a psychology major in school, and I, my mom's a therapist, and I come from a long line of people in the helping profession, and then I graduated college, and I was like, I'm going to go into entertainment. So I worked for e-entertainment television for years and years, and then I had twins, a boy and a girl at the same time, and as they came into my world, and I questioned, I said to myself, how do I build confidence? In these tiny little humans, my son was very naturally athletic and comfortable in new situations. My daughter struggled to walk and had was slow to hand-eye coordination. And so I began to pore over books and attending conferences and speaking to anybody I could about confidence theory. And I was fascinated by it. And at that time, this kind of high-powered, very sexy and elusive world of entertainment and celebrities lost its luster because here I was building human beings and having the opportunity to help these flowers grow and feed them water and food and sustenance. So I began the study of it and I began to work for an organization called Girls Leadership and I was trained by them and I became a senior educator and I'd go into schools and I would teach leadership skills and communication skills. And time after time, the conversation and the questions everybody had was, what do I do about these darn phones? I wonder, can you can you tell us when was this, just because the technology world developed so rapidly, when did you start working on this? So I started working on my book about 10 years ago. So just as it was really starting, I mean, it's pervasive, um, but just as it was really starting to take over the culture of our youth. So the adoption rates were not where they are now. I mean, now the saturation um, with kids fifth grade plus is 60, 70, 80% in affluent communities mm-hmm. are given a phone after fifth grade, you know, once they enter middle school. Um, but I started early on as it was just starting to be a part of the dialogue. Now you can't open a newspaper or a magazine or read a blog without this being the topic. Sure. And it, I really came to it and continue to with the idea of how are these digital devices robbing us of our confidence, stealing our attention. What are we missing out on because of them? So I started to talk to people and research and use my own home life as a ground learning lab 
for how it was affecting our kids. And because I was in the girls' leadership space, I focused on girls. But if you read my book or you read any of my articles in U.S. News and World Report, it really, because I have boy-girl twins, informs both genders, all genders, transgender, whatever, how it's affecting the psyche and this age of distraction. It's interesting that you focus on confidence. I think a lot of people are focused on things like um, attention, focus, and being distracted, maybe anxiety or depression. You know, what what is it that particularly drew you to confidence? And, and can you tell people a little bit about what you've learned about the impact of social media on, on confidence? So if we know who we are and where we come from and begin to figure out those seeds of who we are, where we're headed, what we're naturally good at, what doesn't come as easily, but we're working on. The more we feed that and have that in our lives, the more these symptoms of loneliness, insecurity, inability to communicate begin to fall away a little bit. I mean, we're not talking about mental health um, challenges. And so I began to focus there because to me, that is the core of it. And to me, that is really the crux of what these devices are getting in the way of. Everything else is kind of a symptom. And so if we can set boundaries like we do anything in our lives, so we wouldn't give our walk our toddlers into the food pantry and say, have at it or toss our teenagers the keys to the liquor pantry and say, good luck, figure out how much you can handle. It's the same thing with technology. We really need to set very clear boundaries, have very real conversations about the pros and cons and onboard onboard together with our kids. And that's what is going to create this confidence. The in and out dialogue with the parent, not the strict rules, but the explaining why the boundaries, the explaining what it's getting in the way of, what we're doing instead of, and how do we build that back into our lives and find that balance. We have to be teammates versus rules, rules, rules. And for many parents, they're afraid of the technology. So that negative emotion right away comes across to the kids and they're like, heck, I I can't have a conversation with you about this. I'm just going to go underground still use it, make fake Instagram accounts or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm wondering, you know, what is it specifically uh, about the devices and social media that hurts kids' um, confidence? I know you talk about the seeking of uh, approval and visibility uh, online. Uh, you know, can, can you talk about how it actually plays out in young people's lives that they now have, I assume, lower confidence than kids in previous generations? You know, it's threefold. So there's the constant comparison culture. So before, circa whenever, 10 plus years ago, our consideration set of people to compare ourselves were the people we saw on TV and the people who lived in our direct community. But now our youth, have the whole world open to them 
to compare themselves to. So everybody, as we know, is going to be eating a better, more fabulous meal or going to that Coachella concert or somewhere cool or wearing the perfect outfit or looking fabulous in a bikini where you don't feel so. So the Mm. extra inundation of the comparison culture is really stripping our kids' confidence. And us parents aren't realizing how much day in and day out they are constantly being reminded that they're not enough or they don't Mm. look like that or they are not there. And so we think we know, like, oh, that must be hard, we say. But if you really, every second of every day, put yourself in the situation where you have to feel just a little bit less than ongoing day after day, it really begins to to get to you. So we pop on Facebook, we see that our friends were in Croatia or the Amalfi Coast this summer, and you're like, ooh, I couldn't even afford to, you know, go backpacking in Maine. <laughs> and it feel it makes you feel less than. Our kids are experiencing that hundred times over on like HDTV. And even though they say they don't actually, oh, I'm so used to it, it does. It begins to strip away your confidence. The second piece is, is that our kids are not learning these valuable communication skills. And communication and being able to say how you feel or say what you need from another human being is critical in confidence development. Mm -hmm. And because these kids can very easily hide behind a screen or get what they need known without having to look someone in the eye and see actually how that affected another human being, They're taking what I say, you know, the easy way out and just being efficient, but not getting that interpersonal relationship, not getting the practice of saying, hey, that makes me feel bad when you include three people in your sleepover and not me. Do you think next time I could join? Mm -hmm. So the communication skills and the social emotion skill of being able to look someone in the eye is really affecting their confidence because they're not fully in their bodies anymore. They're all out there and they feel, they it's this fake confidence. They feel confident and they'll text something, but then they'll see that person a minute later and they'll avoid them mm. because they haven't had that real connection and that real feeling of, ooh, awkward is hard, but I can push through awkward. So then they grab the device and they distract themselves some more and it's an ongoing cycle. So to recap, it's really the communication skills and then the constant bombardment of this comparison culture that slowly without noticing is stripping away. Oh, should I look like that? Should I care about that? Should I be going to Coachella? Should I be whatnot? Yeah, it's interesting. I've said this many times on the a podcast before that it's it's maybe at best ironic or worst tragic that that social media was originally promoted as something that was going to increase people's communication skills by enabling people to be communicating with each other all the time. And I remember certain pundits back in the 90s, early 2000s, saying young people growing up at that time, because they were communicating in writing so much more than anyone before, were going to become better writers, better written communicators. Uh, They were, by communicating more frequently, you know, they were going to become more connected to each other. This was either, you call it a prediction or promotional hype. 
uh, that's what a lot of people were expecting, certainly, uh, which is very different from what you're actually observing. Yeah, here's the thing. I do. It is not all doom and gloom. And I really do believe there are some amazing, exactly as you spoke of, benefits of social media and these digital devices. And I do think that it connects people. And I do think in this culture where kids have after school sports and they've got music lessons and play practice and tutors, that it gives them the opportunity to connect in time and terms that works better in this overloaded work schedule world. Mm. But what is so critical in the piece that I'm constantly begging parents to pay attention to is that we have to pay close attention and make sure we create opportunities to build back into their lives the organic lifestyle that we used to just have, where you just went outside and played, where you had to have a fight with a friend in person. And so use it for all that's great. I love Snapchat. I love Instagram. I love that these kids are kind of sowing their oats and figuring out who they are through this medium. But if that's 50%, then we have to pay attention to build back in that other 50% of downtime, of solitude. They know how to sit there in silence, how how to be bored, how to have a fight with a friend in person. So my kids know in our household, if they're having an argument with a friend, they have to either pick up the phone or they have to physically make a plan to see them. And that's Mm. just a rule in our house. And that those skills, now my kids are about to start applying to colleges, that they know how to interview and look someone in the eye and shake their hand and share about themselves without feeling like they're bragging or it's so awkward to talk about themselves. So we have to build back these skills and pay super close attention, not at how long are you on Snapchat? What are you posting? Are you wearing the appropriate clothes? But 50% we need to be organically building into their lives the social emotional skills we know they need for confidence, to thrive, for happiness, for relationship building, etc. It's really great. I mean, it's one, it's amazing uh, that these skills, which were taught very naturally or passed down from generation to generation for really all of human history, uh, it's changed in just one generation, really, uh, that it's no longer the um, the norm, you know, or the default that that we have to do, as you said, really make an extra a special effort to consciously reintroduce the the teaching of these skills. So in in theory, it's simple. I know in practice, it's very hard. What kind of suggestions would you give to to parents and families for how to actually make these changes, given that the the path of least resistance is not to do it? Right, right. So first, I always say, like, make a list of family values and really start to get to know, like, what do we as a family, as humans, believe in? We believe in kindness. We believe in participation. We believe in risk taking, whatever it might be. So first, kind of get that under your belt. And then from there, start to think about opportunities where you can build these skills or these values into their lives. So one thing that's an easy one is when you're with relatives, grandparents, or different generations within the family, which are so important in relationship building and values, 
No phones. My kids know they hand me their phones. I put it in my pocketbook. We spend family time. And then when we're done, we give it back. And therefore, they've connected. We feel good. We don't have, we don't feel as parents where you have to explain to our parents, like, that's this generation, mm-hmm. just let it go, where we are really putting our money where our mouth is and having them practice that skill. When we're carpooling, my kids know. And my clients' kids know that they can't hop in the car and go on their phone right away. Yes, they've been off their phone and school is long and hard. And that's a way that they unwind nowadays. You know, maybe we would go home and go into the den and watch the Brady Bunch. So we get it. This is how you unwind. But pick your time limit. I want 20 minutes. We share our days. We laugh or you just stare out the window. And then you can use your device as a way to unwind. So little ways like that and a conversation around it with your kid, like, hey, this is the goal. The goal is I want you to know how to process your day without distracting yourself without someone's Instagram feed. What do you think we could do to do that? How long do you think would be an appropriate amount of time? If we don't include them in the process, as I had said before, Mm -hmm. it's not going to work. We're on the same team. I always am telling my clients, like, tell them we're on the same team. We're building awesome humans. Yeah. And these devices are great, but they are getting in the way of some of the skills that you're going to need. Let's create together. Same thing with the dinner table. We just don't have phones at the dinner table, guys. Like it's the one time where we can talk about our day, where we can just unwind, where we can just be, which is a lot of what life is about. And, I, and I'm happy to, if if you want, you know, put together just a list of kind of straightforward ways you can execute this and have a conversation with your kids around it. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, I'm sure it's something we can um, put into the show notes for the episode and provide a link to people listening uh, to get a a bigger, more comprehensive list. That'd be fantastic. Okay, perfect. And I I know that you also have something, I love the name of this, uh, it's called the Digitox Box. (laughs) Could you tell people a little bit about what this is? I think it's very much in line. It's something that facilitates uh, what you just talked about. Great, great. So in my classes and workshops that I would teach, so many of the parents would say to me, like, I just need something tangible, something to actually start the conversation with my kids around it, or just a way to stop them from using their devices and do something different. So I came up with the Digitox box, which is digital plus detox. And in it are 12 to 15 different items, old school type of items that you use or do together or alone instead of being on your phone. So it sits in your kitchen or whatever gathering spot in your home is. And it's a constant reminder as you glance to it, like, oh, yeah, let's take a (laughs) 10 minute break. You know, even if you don't take the break, but you look at it or your child looks at it and you say, like, every time we look at that box, let's remind ourselves not to automatically distract with the device. Mm -hmm. So in it are things like playing cards In it are tea bags and talking about the ritual of tea and how to use tea as a way to unwind at the end of the night before you go to bed, rather than looking at your device, which is emitting the blue rays, which suppress serotonin, which 100% research-based says that it makes it harder for our kids to fall asleep. And we wonder why they're all turning to melatonin or having such a hard time sleeping because they literally went from Netflix to 
bedtime. Mm-hmm. So it's got little fun ways to just engage in the world in this old old world type of mentality, but with a modern twist. It's got a marshmallow, build a marshmallow tower and use your creative <laughs> skills um, and a lot of fun other items inside. And people are really, really enjoying it. I'm actually talking to a major hotel chain right now and they want to bring it to their hotel um, into their digital wellness section of their spa. Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, I'm sure uh, that there, there can be challenges involved in this when either one parent or one family tries to do this, because, of course, we're all part of a world and a community. And you know, can you talk a little bit uh, about um, maybe the, the challenges of trying to do this when other people around you may not be doing it or of the promise, you know, of multiple families getting together <laughs> or people within a school or a community, you know, banding together to work on this and support each other in it? Great question. Great question. So I'll take it twofold. I'll start with just within the family. If your partner or spouse, um, you know, maybe for their work, they have to be on their phones all the time. The one main thing I always say is we need to keep a little bit of a sense of humor around it that the more we are afraid of the technology or seriously fearful that it's ruining ourselves, our kids, the world as we know it, we've lost. We've lost. So we really need to start to get comfortable that social media and these devices are here to stay. They've got a lot of positive aspects to them, but we have to figure out because they are addicting, just like that, you know, those sugar cookies or chocolate dip cookies, how to set boundaries around it, how to figure out how to control it. And to have that conversation in the family or with the spouse who maybe isn't as much on board. And when things go awry, that's okay. We have a rule, no phones at the dinner table. And I'd say that probably after three weeks, Somehow they've snuck back in. Sometimes <laughs> I'm the culprit. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so busted. Everyone, back mm-hmm. to the baskets. And that's it. We giggle and we move on. There's no you know, big consequences. And I'm so disappointed. We're all trying to figure this out together would be you know, within the family unit. Keep it light. Be understanding. It's challenging for all of us. And then within our own communities, like most things that we do want to align ourselves with like-minded people. So if you are someone who really wants to delay your child having a device, having a phone, using social media, having Snapchat, whatever the different ramp up points are, that's great. The longer you can delay it, Mm. the better, because then you've organically had more opportunities for these face-to-face conversations or making plans without a group chat involved. But if you live in a community where starting in sixth grade, a lot of the kids have phones, that's how they make plans right after school. And your child is coming home day after day feeling left out because she didn't know or he didn't know that everybody was meeting at the pizza place or in the commons. Then we need to say, okay, here's my value, but here's the real world. Mm -hmm. How do I have my conversation with my child around that while keeping our values, but also realizing that there are consequences around that. And it's not easy. So yes, if you have a friend who also agrees or two or three families that are like, let's hold off, let's try to go till eighth grade, or there's a movement in your community. Mm -hmm. Amazing, amazing. 
but we also have to live in the real world. And if you do live in a community where because the kids walk to school or walk to religious school, they get phones earlier so the parents are in touch or it's a very working family heavy community, I say to my clients, like, I want you to deal in real time because I don't want your child socially to suffer. And now we've got two challenges on our hands Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because of it. You can still have your values, but we have to figure out how to get those values in around these devices. Yeah, there's a few themes that seem to be uh, recurring uh, from from where I'm sitting. There would be um, one is, as you said, collaboration or support, you know, having that attitude of working together, whether it's with your, your kids or spouse or other friends or members of the community, rather than trying to, um, you know, impose rules, having some some flexibility and you know, taking from from the mindfulness world, I'd see it as a kind of non-judgment, you know, you have a value around this, but if there's a, uh, a slip, you know, try to have a, a non-judgmental attitude. And I, I think sounds like also you're, you're trying to help uh, your kids not just do things differently, but understand why and, uh, you know, help them to be able to internalize these values on their own so that it's not just you telling them what to do. Is that right? Exactly. Because the value of kindness plays out in so many ways. And so specifically how it plays out on social media is we don't post mean Mm. things. We don't. And so we want to constantly be talking about the value of kindness within our homes and in respect to other humans. And the social media piece is just one other reflection on how you want to carry that out and who do you want to be. And the more we just have strict rules without explaining, here's the value. Here's how social media can get in the way of you being the person you want to be. Mm. So when you're faced with that choice, count to 10 and think about, okay, the other person on the other side, what's going to make them feel good? Is it just me hitting the like? Is it me saying something kind of witty that could be misunderstood. And that's where we want our kids to learn. We want them to actually be empowered to make the right choice and allow for a few mistakes and to begin to feel like, oh my God, that felt awful. Mm. That didn't feel so good. I'm going to try a different approach. And talking about it early, I mean, us parents are handing our kids our phones on the changing the diaper changing station because it's distracting the baby and we're able to more easily change their diaper. Now I won't get into whether I agree with that or not. It's just a reality. So we need to start these conversations literally from the day they are born. Mm -hmm. And if you don't think they're understanding it, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but then it's just become part of the conversation. Like, Hey, mommy's taking the phone back now because now we're going to do quiet time or we're going to be playing and looking each other in the eye, whatever it is. It's a new thing. We have to build into the conversations of our lives and theirs. It's interesting when you mentioned, um, pointing out to your kids, uh, to think about how the other person might feel. This is another thing, which in the past, uh, not that it didn't have to be taught, but that when you were interacting with someone face to face, you could see their reaction. Whereas now online, it does take some conscious pausing and thought 
about the other person because in most cases you're not seeing them. Uh, they're not actually present to you when you're communicating. If it's by posting on Facebook or sending an email or other message, they're, they're actually absent to all of your senses at that time. Uh, seems like a, a really great suggestion, particularly for young people who don't have that previous baseline of experience, uh, in, in learning how to take someone else's response into account when all they've done is communicate online where they're not seeing someone else's reaction to them. Yeah, exactly. So in my book, one of the things I do is I list, you know, with all my clients and all my workshops, what leadership skills they they hope their kids would possess. Empathy, good communication skills, organize, and then to take a look at how does that play out in today's digital world or with social media? How do we develop the empathy skill? And so it's exactly as you just spoke about. We begin to if we're not looking them in the eyes, start to imagine, I wonder how that will be received. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not sure, I need to reach out to them and say, hey, emails, texts, notes within an Instagram chat can be misunderstood. Just want to make sure you know that I was kidding in that because we don't (laughs) know. And so we have to go that extra mile and make sure that we're being understood and for kids and, and adults to begin to realize that it has to be built into our conversation if we're not going to be doing it in real time. And that's okay. For efficiency, we can't always do it in real time right now. But we have to build in that extra empathy. How do I think that's going to be received? Do I need to make sure that they understood that I was kidding or that I was rushed or, you know, my KK, which is okay. My kids will always give me a KK. And I can't tell, are they annoyed with me? Do they think I'm being controlling? Are they not interested? And so I said, I don't want that. I want you to actually say to me what that piece of, did you take care of this felt like? Did it feel stressful? Did it feel, so we no longer use KK because it left me just wondering, like, what are they thinking? Yeah. This is, this is really, really great. Um, I, I appreciate all of your your insights and um, suggestions. I mean, the, these issues and challenges are only going to become more significant over time. Um, I wonder uh, if you can let people know how they can uh, get in touch with you, find out more about you, find your book, find the Digitox box and other resources available from you. Terrific. So my website is my name. So it's Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, Wolk, W-O-L-K dot com. And there you can find the Digitox box. You can buy my book. My book is available at all major bookstores, Barnes and Noble, whatnot. You can buy it on my site and I'll personally autograph it to you or your daughter or, or an aunt or niece. And then I write for U.S. News World and report monthly, always on these topics. I just wrote a great article about um, how to raise boys who treat girls well. And you can always reach out to me if anybody's interested in um, getting some sample chapters, maybe the leadership one to start thinking about that. I would be happy if you email me to send you a digital copy um, as a friend to your audience, Robert. So that would just be Lori at LoriWolk.com. You can email me and I'll send you that leadership chapter. 
Well, thanks so much for that offer. I really appreciate it. And thanks for all of the work that you're doing, Lori. And thanks for being a guest on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with you. You as well. Keep fighting the good fight, right? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Lori Wolk, a life coach who specializes in teaching parents how to raise confident kids in the digital age. You can find out more about Lori and her Digitox box at lauriewolk.com. That's L-A-U-R-I-E-W-O-L-K.com. If you like today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and share the episode with your friends. Those and all other links are in the show notes and check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. And find out about our Tap Into Mindfulness course for helping you to take control of your smartphone at bit.ly slash TFM meditation. I'm Robert Plotkin and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast for our annual New Year's episode. 